Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Today is, what is it, Delaney, Wednesday, Thursday? Wednesday, April 12th. Today is Wednesday, April 12th. Thanks, Delaney. Glad you're on top <laughs> of things today. Well, I know. I, I had to look at the date, though. I had to double check it. I thought, it's not really April 12th, is it? But it is. It is indeed. And you are listening to Ag News Daily. I am Mike Pearson, joined by my co-host Delaney Howell. And Delaney, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm pretty good. How about you, Mike? You know, I was doing great earlier. The sun was out. It was mm-hmm. warm. It was nice. I got some bulk bins set up on the farm here this last night. So I've I've upped my grain storage by, uh, let's see, three, three-ton bulk bins. Hey, I got nine tons of grain storage now. All right. Yeah, kind of a big Exciting. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the news from the Pearson Farmstead. Is there any news out there that we need to uh, bring to people's attention before we get to our interview, which... Uh, which you were able to arrange for us and uh, is really eye-opening. I do have some news for you, Mike. Um, Pro-employment, and a few people on Twitter tweeted this article today, including Elaine Cub, one of our market analysts here on the podcast. They, This article came out from Pro-employment saying farming is one of the most dangerous occupations in America. And it said farmers are nearly twice le- twice as likely to die on the job as police officers, five times as likely as firefighters, and 73 times as likely as Wall Street bankers. Hmm. You know, I wonder, and I haven't I haven't read that article, so I'll have to take a peek at it. I wonder if they controlled for age, given that farmers as a whole are an older population than I would assume firemen and cops. I wonder if that has... Uh, you know, I, guess, I don't know. That's like, a good question. If I have a heart attack in the mm-hmm. tractor at 75, well, yeah, huh? that's interesting. I wonder if that would be it considered is. a farm death. I suppose it would. I don't know. I don't know that it specified that, but I'm sure you could look through the article and see. I just skimmed it. so. Perfect. That's how we bring you the news, ladies and gentlemen. We skim stuff. <laughs> we see on Twitter. <laughs> no, I, I feel like... We're not necessarily a source for direct information. We're more of an aggregator of all the good, the really good pieces. And we like to share it with our podcast listeners. Just the best of the best. The creme de la creme. That's right. That's right. So we make it worth their time. That's right. Because we know your time is valuable. And so speaking of that, somebody who has very valuable time, Delaney, and I know because I've written a lot of checks to them, are veterinarians. (laughs) And uh, for those of you in vet school or out in the world practicing veterinary medicine, the USDA, the National Institute for Food and Agriculture, has announced they have available $4.2 million to help eligible veterinarians repay a portion of their vet school loans in return for serving in areas of the U.S. lacking sufficient resources. Um, Basically, this article, again, skimming, uh, doesn't say... (laughs) Which oh here it is nope it sure does let me let me click on this link here see this is real time <laughs> news gathering right here um, basically the uh, the ill served areas you can find out by going to nifa.usda.gov and uh, yeah it's pretty much any place except Oregon uh, is Alabama Wyoming am I reading this map right. I don't know. That's your smart. You go on. You check this out. If you're practicing or willing to practice in these areas, hey, there's some money available. Uh, get those loans paid off a little bit sooner. That sounds like a good program. Yeah. Especially for uh, poor, as it 
As a recent graduate of college, I understand the struggles to pay for education. Yeah, and shoot, it's like all of Wyoming. Some of these spots are taken, though, so you got to act quickly. Hmm. And right. Iowa's got a couple left. Uh, let's see how Missouri's doing down there. Missouri. Missouri, yes, right south of Iowa. Delaney, you, you graduated from there. <laughs> I'm just laughing at your pronunciation. What do you call it? Missouri. Missouri, that's mean. They're fine people <laughs> down there. No, Miz, Miz, I can't even say it now. I'm just done. All right. What else you got? <laughs> okay. Well, in other news, uh, the USDA has announced that they are going to con- – I'm the USDA and FSIS has announced that they are going to continue planning for a new hog inspection system. And with those changes that they're planning to change would be – uh, let's see, skimming here again. <laughs> um, okay, so plans to advance a new system for inspecting hogs would involve faster production lines and shifting food safety responsibility from federal inspectors to meat company employees. Hmm. Interesting. So we yes. we'd kind of be democratizing the inspection process. Right. I think that's the idea. You know, I, I wonder if they're going to get some pushback now after the uh, Brazilian situation. Right, that might be part of it, too. You never know. We'll have to watch and see. Watch and see. You know, watching and seeing, a lot of us do that every week when we're at the grocery store. And uh, a lot of us have watched and seen food prices are getting cheaper. And now we have an actual statistic to back that up. The American Farm Bureau Spring Picnic Market Basket Survey is out. And, uh, of course, those of us in the countryside have seen lower prices for commodities. That is now translating into lower prices at the grocery stores. Effectively, the cost to prepare the cost to prepare uh, ingredients for for one meal, 16 different ingredients for one meal, they're down about three and a quarter, uh, $3.25, down about 6% from a year ago. And uh, a lot of that is coming from eggs. Egg prices are down, milk prices are down, and uh, beef, particularly ground chuck, sirloin tip roast, and chicken breasts are all seeing significant declines at the grocery store. That is exciting. I am on my way here shortly to get groceries because this morning I went to make my lunch for work and saw I had beer, Pepsi, water, cheese, applesauce, and spaghetti sauce in my refrigerator and uh, thought, what am I going to eat for lunch? I need to go to the store. I hope your answer was a beer. (laughs) I uh, sent a picture to a few people at work and said, I guess... The logical choice for lunch today is obviously beer. You know, we talk about that, and during the Lenten season, perhaps it's appropriate to talk about beer. The monks developed it as liquid bread so they could fast during the Lenten season. It was one of the reasons we have beer. So, you know, you've got uh, uh, religious freedom to to drink beer all day at work. Yeah, I don't think that's probably uh, employers would agree with that, but sure. I didn't drink beer just for the clarification of anybody listening. All right, all right. Well, Delaney, do you have any other news besides your barren beer-filled fridge? (laughs) Just one last quick story here before we go to our interview. GIPSA, or the Grain Inspection Packers and Stockyards Administration, have decided to push back the new proposed rule um, for a 180-day period. So it will be pushed back now until October 19th. And during that time, they're going to allow commenters to respond to questions and uh, the new proposed rule. 
And so I think a lot of people are hoping, well, maybe it'll just get thrown out the window altogether, but we will have to see. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And that's one of those rules that uh, the more I've personally looked into it, the more I'm unsure where I fall on it. Mm-hmm. I can see a lot of pros and cons to both sides. We had a discussion at, uh, oh gosh, at a meeting I was at with a lot of beef producers about it. And, you know, it was just, gosh, you know, where where do you come down on something like that? And it has divided the, uh, the ag community. I know Farm Bureau and NPPC are uh, pretty strongly against it, and you've got the NFU and some poultry producers that are pretty favorable towards it. So if you've got strong opinions, now's the time to make them heard until, when was it, mid-September? October. Mid-October. All right. Yep. Get them filed with the uh, Grain Inspections Packers and Stockyards Administration. Yep. Yep, exactly. Well, let's jump into the markets, Mike. Do you want to give us an update on today's closing prices? I certainly do. We've seen a nice rebound across the board in the grain markets. May corn closed up two and a half cents, end of the day at three sixty nine even. December corn up two cents at three ninety two and a half. In soybeans, big rally relatively. May beans up eight and a half cents at nine forty seven and three quarters. Novi beans up seven cents, closed the day at nine fifty five and a half. On the wheat side, May wheat unchanged from yesterday, closed at 4.33 and a quarter. December wheat down three quarters of a cent, ended at 4.80 and a quarter. Jumping over to livestock, we have April live cattle up 95 cents, finished the day at 124.20. June live cattle up 65 cents, finishing at 114.35. Feeder cattle. The April contract closed up 32.5 cents, finishing at 137.50. May feeders up 50 at 137.82.5. In lean hogs, oh, a little bit of red here on the lean hog side of things. April lean hogs down 42.5 cents, closed at 62.22.5. May lean hogs down $1.55, ending the day at 68.02.5. Delaney, would you set us up a little bit for the interview? You've really been studying this topic Uh, explain to us who we're going to be talking to and what we're going to be talking about. No problem. Well, as we've been covering here pretty heavily, with grasslands shutting off a lot of farms in Wisconsin and also New York, although it's not through grasslands processing, a lot of dairy farms are being affected by a close in exports from Canada. And so I have been working with Dairy Carry, and we are going to be joined here shortly by a guest named Jennifer Sowers, and she is she and her husband are dairy farmers in Wisconsin, and their their story is just heartbreaking. I was getting a little emotional when we were talking to her, and it is going to be a good story, so you definitely want to stay tuned. We have Jennifer Sauer joining us now, and she is a dairy farmer along with her husband in Waterloo, Wisconsin, which is central Wisconsin. But Jennifer, just before we get into the whole grasslands issue, why don't you give us a quick background on your on your farm and about you? Okay, hi. Um, so my husband and I, uh, we run and operate a dairy farm in Waterloo, like you said, and um, my husband is the third generation um, on the family farm. We currently milk 120 cows and have over 300 head of cattle. Um, We entered into this farming operation well knowing that um, 
both of us are from farm backgrounds, and we knew we were going to see some high and lows. Um, we were well aware of that in the milk price. But did we ever see the day that we would open that letter and the letter states that your processor is no longer taking your milk? Um, that wasn't the only shocking thing. The, the hard thing to even swallow as of today yet, and it's been a week since we've gotten the letter, is that they gave you less than 30 days to find another processor. And as of today, um, the 125 processors that we have called are still telling you there is no demand for your milk and they have no room for it. Wow. Oh, my goodness. What a, I can't even imagine. Wow is right. Yeah. I mean, that's just a heartbreaking situation. And this is, Jennifer, coming from a non-dairy producer, what does the relationship look like between the farmer and the producer? Do you have contracts with them? How does it, ordinarily, I suppose, how does it work? Okay. Um, we do not currently have a contract with Grassland. Um, some people contract um, some milk prices out for the futures, um, as they would say, and we did not do that. Um, and the ones that have done that um, with Grassland, the latest that we have heard is they were buying those contracts out but only in the difference of what um, the milk price is currently versus what they had contracted. Wow, so they're still so not going to be taking their milk. They're well, just giving them just cash, and they're on their own. Correct. Wow. In 30 days, I mean, I remind you, it is not enough. Um, mm -hmm. As much as I want to say it's, it's a job, it's more than a job. Um, I wake up every morning and still to this day, I wake up with a smile on my face and know that I love my job. And not many people can do that um, going into their job. Um, I love to see how much we've grown um, within the farm here, um, how much my children have learned from the farm. And I was hoping one day that they could actually be the fourth generation. And knowing that we have... 11 or 12 business days left and still no answer it's it's heartbreaking there's been a lot of sleepless nights um lots of tears and that just shouldn't it shouldn't be like that how jennifer how much have you been in contact with other producers or dairy farmers that have been impacted by this i mean i'm sure a lot of the stories are very similar to your own they are um actually we're all a very uh, tight-knit tight -knit community here. Um, the farming community is tight-knit. Um, mm -hmm. We share lots of the same vendors. We share lots of the same stories. We go to all the meetings together. Um, and, I mean, up until today, you know, before I, you know, came out and, you know, spoke with, you know, different producers. And, you know, we're all in the same boat. Um, Unfortunately, everybody asks themselves why. And uh, furthermore, they ask themselves, what now? And with the uncertainty of what's going to happen, um, you have to continue. It's not like, you know, the cows are a machine that you can shut off for a week. Mm -hmm. um, 
they see producing every day. Those cows need to be milked two, three times a day. And you have to feed them. I mean, it's, it's no different than a newborn baby. Um, they require a lot of attention and you have to continue to do what you do every day. Um, like I said, the, the hard part is not knowing come April 30th whether or not you'll have a place to ship your milk. And unfortunately, you know, the alternative for that is you sell your cows. And, you know, like I said before, we put a lot of, lot of time just, just like anybody else. And there's nothing we did wrong on our part. And there's nothing we can do to change it except for express our opinions, um, keep talking to anybody that we can. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, the state or the congressman or we have to, we have to stay in front of them and something has to be done. Have you been hearing uh, responses back from your, uh, your state legislators or uh, either on the state or the national level? That is frustrating. Um, we know that um, the processors have met um, with them. Um, we know that we have physically um, had some teleconferences, and we get the same answer there also. Um, they're doing what they can, and it's a priority, but nothing seems – there's no light at the end of the tunnel right now. I think, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize the seriousness of of this problem. I mean, it, especially for like us here in Iowa, we don't have a lot of dairy producers and we just don't understand the impact that this is going to have on so many families in Wisconsin and New York both. But right. I mean, looking out here and over the next two weeks, what is your plan? I mean, I know as hard as this is, do you have a plan? Is there anything you can do? Uh, what we, and, and we're all trying our hardest, um, you know, to get the word out. Um, and I, I'm going to fight to the end. Um, I refuse to give up. It's, it's not in my blood and it's not in my heart. Um, I, I'm going to continue every day. Like we will keep, I mean, come May 1st, I, I'm going to have in my head that there is some kind of solution that's going to happen before then um i guess i'm hoping somebody will either take our milk or um grassland will actually extend out another 60 to 90 days until we find another processor Mm -hmm. until some of that milk frees up um that we, we you know we're able to find somebody now when you've been calling around and talking to these other processors does it sound like They'll have room in the future, or are the is the 125 other ones just a flat look? We can't take any more. Period. It's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, to be completely honest, yep, it's a little bit of both. Some will give you a glimpse of hope and say, you know, they're going to do so-called a spring flush, um, and they will have room the end of May, beginning of June. But that doesn't help us. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I said before, it's it's nothing we can just turn off. Um, this is our life. This is our livelihood. I mean, it goes, and if we do have to sell our, sell our cows, 
so is everybody else or the majority of everybody else. Um, don't get me wrong. That's going to flood the market um, for the beef and for the cold call prices. Um, and it's going to be a trickle effect. Um, a lot of us have already talked, you know, amongst our 75 producers that um, with our land, we will cash crop. And what's next? Are we going to flood the market? on uh, the the beans and the corn and, you know, the, the cash crop prices, you know, what's going to happen to them if, if we all have to do that? Right. Um, yeah. Feed that would have gone out or uh, through your cows. Yes. Now it'll be going to the local elevators. Mm-hmm. Correct. And it, it's going to keep going. Um, it's, and I don't think everybody's looking at that point. Um, and that's something that has to be brought up. It, it's, it's, it's an emergency right now. And, you know, if there was a disaster, I mean, everybody would be on this. And we need the support from, you know, the government, the USDA. I mean, we need all the support we can because this is a disaster and it's going to impact everybody. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter if you are 100 cows or if you're a 1,000 cows. I mean, we have all been impacted by it. And it affects our, our daily routine. Um, there's a lot of decisions we make every day. And those decisions get harder and harder as the days get less and less. Yeah, you're looking at a tremendous amount of uncertainty. Jennifer, what can right. what can our listeners do? What would be the best course of action? I mean, everybody, of course, wants to help. But for those of us in Iowa, we don't quite know how. What's the what's the best way that, that folks around the country can... Uh, lend some support to uh, to you folks in this tough situation? I've been very grateful. I, I will say this. I've been very grateful. Um, there has been a lot of support out there. Um, but everybody needs to really realize how people are being affected by this. And as much as we're affected directly right now, um, there's really not a safe zone out there. Everybody keeps asking themselves whether they're in dairy, whether they're in the grain or what what vegetables. It doesn't matter. They're asking themselves, is this going to happen to me next? Um, we all need to be aware that it can happen. It can happen to anybody. Um, and we need to start getting, whether it's contracts, um, maybe signed, you know, a yearly contract with a processor. Um, we need to start, you know, promoting more, you know, I, we really get involved with um, the community, the school. I mean, we need to start educating people on where their food comes from. Um, that is a huge one. Uh, that is so far left behind. And we employ and we communicate and we talk with a lot of teenagers um, from our community, and we educate as much as we can. We volunteer a lot of our time, and them are the only people, and that might be the only time that they ever get to see a cow once or to work on a farm once in their whole entire life. And everyone that we can touch, we will, because people are just not, um, what do I want to say, they have a hard time understanding where their products come from. 
And I don't, it, it's drink more milk, eat more cheese. I mean, whatever you can do and, you know, just speak your opinion and thoughts and, I mean, keep in contact with anybody that you can to get the word out that, I mean, it's just not, it's just not a family farm. I mean, there is a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that are so important and impact every person that you can think of one way or another. Yeah, that's so true. And uh, I think, I hope all of our listeners after hearing this will go out and buy several gallons of milk. (laughs) It's it's shelf stable in the fridge for a long time. Go get it purchased. Long time. Yeah, let's let's try to chew through some of this surplus here so we're not as concerned about, you know, shipping that powdered product up into Canada. Canada. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of it is I mean, I know a lot of blame is on Canada and you know, the Canadians have actually been pretty sincere of the whole thing. Um I joined um there's a group out there that um it's a dairy girl network group and um we we've touched base with the Canadians and they're not all to blame. Um is this just directly a grassland issue? No, it's not. Um, there's a lot of things that go behind the scenes that a lot of people um, have not realized. And I, you just, as much as I, I can stress, I mean, it's not the big farms pushing the small farms out. I mean, there's there is no one to blame directly. But we all have to work together as a team. We all have to be on the same page. And Wisconsin needs to know where they want to be. I mean, you know, we promote it as the dairy land. You know, is it? I mean, why are we buying milk from Michigan, you know, and not buying Wisconsin farmers' milk and keeping it in Wisconsin? Right. That makes sense. Keeping it local and supporting the farms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, this is, I mean, a heartbreaking story. It makes me kind of emotional just listening to you talk about it because it hits home for so many people in the ag industry. But we really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And I hope we can get an update and keep in contact with you so we can update our listeners as this is, you know, growing ever more closely to that May 1st deadline. But I, I think yeah. I speak for both Mike and I when I say that we hope it works out in your best interest and the best interest of the farmers in Wisconsin. Yeah, most certainly, because, I mean, there has been every night. I mean, you shed a tear every night. You have a sleepless night, but you still wake up the next morning. And like I said, you have a smile on your face and it's still here. You do what you love doing. And you push through it and you hope that next that next phone call is the one. Wow, Jennifer's story, and I'm sure so many others in Wisconsin are having a very similar story or have similar stories, but I know I was getting emotional during that, just imagining what she's going through in her family and so many others in Wisconsin and New York. You know, and it's one of those things, Delaney, and uh, those of us who aren't, dairy producers and perhaps to a lesser extent poultry producers you know we get comfortable with having markets 
all around mm -hmm. us. If you've got cash corn, cash beans, cash wheat to sell, I know here in Grinnell, we've got an elevator. We've got a feed mill. I can go six miles to the other side for another elevator, 10 miles in another direction, have another elevator. Um, that's a different story on the dairy side. And that closure and that closure of the border on the part of Canada, and I thought Jennifer was very magnanimous with uh, mm -hmm. you know, her, her treatment of the Canadian market. Really, it's a political change that has forced grasslands to stop purchasing milk from these producers and uh, yeah, probably is going to require a political solution. But uh, as she mentioned, we've got to get it on the radar of the uh, the folks who can make that call, you know, whether it's at the World Trade Organization or with President Trump or wherever. I wish I was better at politics to understand this stuff. I know. And it it's it's hard to put it in perspective when you're not directly going through it. But like the wildfires in some of the western to central part of the states, this is a very real issue and not a lot of people outside of the ag community know what's going on and understand the huge impact this could have not only on a local level but at the grocery store and like jennifer mentioned the trickle effect right i mean it's uh yeah little things have big impacts that's for sure mm -hmm. yeah delaney is this a story that uh, we plan to continue following are you going to continue reaching out to folks up there to see if we can uh, get some more insight on it yeah, I think especially here as we near that May 1st deadline of when Grasslands is planning to shut off their contracts with those folks, I think we definitely need to stay in touch with producers in Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, as we look out for the rest of this week, do you have anything planned for uh, interviews? I'm, I've got a few irons in the fire, to use your words from yesterday, so we will see what comes about them. Perfect. Well, in the meantime, folks, continue to stay active, uh, continue to uh, look for ways to consume more milk. Let's soak it up here in this country. And as always, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Check us out on Twitter. You can find us at Ag News Daily. We are working on a Facebook page. We'll be on LinkedIn and a website is in the works. So do uh, continue to work with us and hopefully we will see you back tomorrow. 